What is going on, everybody? We're back again this week. Man, let me talk about it. I just hopped on Hasmore's website, and what's the first thing I see when I click on Tree Sand Accessories? Sale. There is a lot of great stuff still available, uh, but a lot of things are getting sold out. So you better get in there and get on their website at Hasmore, H-A-Z-M-O-R-E dot net, and hop over to the tree stand accessories and get some of that stuff. Pick it up before it's gone. The seats are still there. Some of the silent seats are still there. The third-hand archery climbing stand stabilizer straps, they're there. Uh, the backrest for the summit is there. But like I said, things are selling out quick. So you better go over there and get what you get what you can, get what you need. It is that time of year where hunting season's over and you just spent uh, the entire last season sitting in an uncomfortable climber seat. Uh, so what you need to do is hop over to Hasmore's website and pick up one of their awesome Hasmore seats and use code UPO15 at checkout for 15% off your order. We'll make it even easier for you. The link to the website is right down the podcast description. So you hit the pause button right now, scroll down there, click it, shop the sale, come back to the podcast. Believe me, you'll thank me later. All right. After that, when you're also down there in the podcast description, you'll see the tickets to the crawfish boil. We've got a dang turtle box speaker already sitting back here. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have heard those, but they're extremely loud, extremely clear, and they're like 400 bucks. We'll be giving one of those away amongst so many other prizes. We've got duck hunts already lined up, uh, fishing trips already lined up. There's going to be some guns, all kinds of great raffle prizes there. And we're doing all this to benefit Tin Can. It's going to a great charity to help veterans and first responders, man. So come out, join us for a day of fun in the sun with the poker run first thing in the morning and then a giant family-style crawfish boil at the end. If you're interested in buying some sponsor tables, there's a link for that with a gold, silver, and bronze table. Gold table coming with guns in the $1,800 to $2,000 range. The silver table coming with guns in the $800 to $1,000 range. And the bronze table coming with a 100-quart eco-cooler. So you're getting your money's worth if you're buying a table plus 10 tickets and some other accoutrementries to go with that. And you're going to have a great time. And bring nine of your friends. You don't have to tell them you bought it just so you could get the gun or the cooler, though. But it's worth it, trust me. So... But Or just buy a regular ticket, get your poker run combo ticket, get in a poker run, win some cash prizes there, some raffle prizes. It's going to be a fantastic time. We hope to see you guys out there on April 13th at the Jolly Gator Fish Camp in Geneva, Florida. But that's not why you guys came here today, was it? So, listen, we've got a cool one for you. When you think of the marshy shore of eastern Maryland, you might think of ducks, maybe you think of fishing, but that's not even close to to the critter we have on the menu this week. This week we dive into a success story on a not so commonly known species of deer, the sika deer, or sika deer, however you want to say it. Sika deer uh, is a native of southern Japan. Uh, they were released on Maryland's lower eastern shore in 1916 by Clement Henry uh, and have thrived alongside the native whitetail to produce a prolific and huntable species. And if you head down to the eastern shore in the marshes there in the month of October, uh, you you might just hear some bugles because that's when they're in the rut. But don't let that fool you into thinking a public land hunt will come easy because it's some rough terrain. Let's dive into the show.
I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Depends where you're from. Locals and myself. Locals and myself will say sick of deer. And a lot of guys like a lot of guys like New York, Virginia, Southern Virginia, like that's where you get the sick of deer. And like that's why all the guys in the West and then the mediator guy, I think on TV, he said sick of deer. So now it's like whatever you want to say pretty much. But locals will say sick. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure that the Maryland's uh, Maryland's wildlife their their website says Sika, like it pronounces a seek, like it's the it's phonetically spelled out to be seek a deer. Not that it matters. I always called him sick a deer until I saw that, and then I thought maybe I'm saying it wrong. Yeah, but <laughs> just that that southern draw wants to make that uh, Ed. long e a shorty. Yeah. So yeah, literally, it's honestly, it's whatever you prefer to say. Tomato, I, tomato. A lot of the locals around down there in Dorchester County, uh, they a lot of the locals that I know, they say sick of deer. And then a lot of outer staters, it's Stika or, I mean, even Maryland. So it all just depends where you're from and what you were taught. Right. Well, let's uh, let's introduce everybody we got in here tonight uh, before we get any further. Uh, I'm your host, Will. I got Jordan in here with me. I'm here. Let's get it. And we've got... Papa, Bill in here. Grandpa. <laughs> dad. I prefer dad, but be fine. And uh, Nick Mar- Marcillo. And we're talking about Sika, Sika deer, uh, and your successful hunt in Maryland. And uh, that's, you know, like I, when I was talking to you earlier today, if it wasn't for that VHS tape of under wild skies <laughs> yeah. where he went and hunted them there, I, I never would have really known they existed. And then you brought up the fact that meat eater went up there and hunted them. And you're, you're right. I did see that episode, but it wasn't every time I think about seek a deer or sick of deer, whatever you want to call them. I think about the under wild skies, the grainy VHS under wild skies episode that I saw. Uh, well before I think was about that, Steve Rennell up there. Was that Dick Butkus that did that under Wild Skies on that? Or I can't remember I who the guy was. Google. I, I probably still got the video. I'm sure <laughs> you use my phone. You ain't got the computer. He's phone. got the VHS but player, but I still I bet I still have it. I don't doubt it. Yeah. But and that that was the one you saw him go up there and they what they call him, the devil deer. Yeah. Uh because they the, just the noises they make. Is there a lot oh, of yeah. out-of-state people that hunt them up there? Yeah, I mean it's, I mean I've been I've been fortunate enough to know about them and hunt them since I was a little kid with my dad, and I will say, ever since that mediator episode went live, the amount of pressure has doubled. Um, it's it's ridiculous. It went from like public access areas in the parking lots and pull-ins, you'd see like one to three trucks, to now like some of those pull-ins will have 20 trucks lined for mm. 100 to 200 yards down the road. So the dynamic of hunting them has completely changed as far as pressure and oh, uh, um, where to find them and things like that. Yeah. 
So that this is a deer that outside of the U.S. Uh, well, inside the U.S., you're only going to find it in Maryland and maybe some parts of Virginia. Am I correct? Or is it just Maryland? I know primarily some there's parts a lot of Virginia, of and now they're starting to get a little bit towards Delaware. Really? So they're. I mean, I guess their population is doing pretty decent on the mm-hmm. coast then. That and the pressure probably pushing them. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a quota like a quota draw hunt, is it in Maryland? No, you can over the counter tag, uh, get your general license, and anybody can hunt them on public land. Um, it's a cool hunt. It's one of the toughest hunts um, in the world, hundred um, percent. And the other thing too is they. I mean, they thrive. That's the other thing. It's I don't think they're moving because of a pressure thing. It's they have no predators besides us. I mean, mm. nothing is getting them out in that marsh. So tell me about going as a kid with your dad. How did you get started doing that? So it went back. We used to have a place down the eastern shore growing up that when I was a kid, we it was like our vacation house. And my dad found out about him and started hunting him. And he would always that was like his thing. He became obsessed with it, um, guided for him for a couple years. And I mean, I was, I was real little, so I wasn't even old enough to hunt yet, but I would tag along in the areas that I could when he would hunt the areas that had more of a hardwoods. Cause obviously as a eight to 10 year old, he's not going to take me out in the marsh because you can make one wrong step out there and you're sunk in a 12 foot hole. It's just <laughs> right straight down in the water. So, uh, it was it was really cool for me because it was something I've dreamed about ever since I've gotten older to harvest one because I've seen my dad harvest one um, and like the stories and the things that I've got to share with him and I just never got to do it. So going back on the public land that essentially he taught me how to hunt these deer on, um, it was pretty it was pretty special for me this year to make that like come full circle because I've been wanting to do it for a really long time. I just haven't had the time because I'm always going to the Midwest traveling. And this year I really, I really was determined to make that happen. And it was, it was pretty special. So, um, yeah, like, like I said, going back to when I was a little kid, it was, it's one of those childhood memories that I'll have with me forever going and hunting these deer, hearing them bugle and hearing them growl and just the difference of hunting them compared to a whitetail. It's, it's stuck with me. So I'm 26 now, and it took me long enough to finally try to get one. And it was probably – I'm lucky enough to hunt all over the country, and it was probably the most special um, harvest that I've ever had just because of that uh, connection going back to when my dad was teaching me how to hunt them. You know, it's funny you talk about not being able to take a kid out in the marsh. I, and I'm looking at all these beautiful uh, geese you got hanging behind you on the wall there, and uh, – <laughs> My son this year, he's like, Dad, I, I want to get a pair of waders so that I can go duck hunt when you're in waders with you. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, there's only one problem with that. He's like, well, what? I said, come here. I said, I go in water that's about here, just over my waist. I said, come stand <laughs> next to me. I said, that's over your waders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's not even that. Out there, it's like every step you take, like if you're not careful, it's either like quicksand mud or – when you're walking you got to break these reeds in half you got to step where the root comes out and if you don't step on that root and you hit that hole you can be waist deep in there like i mean two years ago i was out there with my cousin and i stepped i did that i stepped in the wrong spot and 
I was stuck in a hole for 45 minutes until he was able to come get me and pull me out, standing there with my bow above my head. That's like that's like uh, <laughs> you get out on some of the some of the lakes here in Florida where you duck hunt, and we have some that have like a tussock, tussock, floating tussock. Some of it you can you look at it and you're running like a surfer stripe boat. You're like, I can get through that. One day you can. Tomorrow, uh, it's almost solid ground and you're stuck. Yeah. Or you get out of the boat and you can walk 10 feet from the boat and all of a sudden you step and you're up. I mean, you're down on one knee and your other leg's gone through it. And it all looks the same. It's, it's like trying to walk on a peat bog. You just disappear off into there. I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about with that swamp and yeah. hunting in that marsh stuff. It's no joke. And it is a full body workout trying to get through that stuff. Oh, man. It, that's what I tell people. I'm like, you want to. You're worried about missing a day at the gym. Go walk through that that ten foot <laughs> gear with yeah. tree stand on tree stand on your back, your gear, your camera gear. You'll get your legs will feel it that next morning. You'll be hurting. It's like yeah. that like that dude. We so we have a we've got an island uh, that we hunt uh, try to get out there at least once a year if we can draw the permits for it. And uh, it's it's a series of islands that are only it's a it's a permitted hunt series of islands. You can only access it by boat. Um, in that because some of the hunting area is is not an island but when they open up the muzzleloader hunt it's only the islands are open one year last year two years ago after is that hurricane ian that came through yeah the saint john's river was really high and we get out there and the trail that leads in was completely flooded one dude was parking his boat where we normally park boats and i don't know how he was because i looked this year and it had to be Five, six, Five foot six foot deep where he was parking his boat. <laughs> he had to be swimming in. Boy, he was hunting wet is what he was yeah. doing. <laughs> we, we just kind of shut the boat off and push-pulled it down the road past him and pulled, pushed it off of the road. And uh, he got a call from the game warden, oddly enough, and then run into the game warden this year. And he's like, man, you could have just drove your boat up in there last year. So I don't know. It's, that's that's a perfectly one the same game warden. That's a perfect example of what, you know, one game warden says one thing, another one says yeah. another. But man, I, it's it's something else to get out there. Are the mosquitoes really as bad as people say they are? Oh man, well, see, I, can't even begin, I can't even begin to describe. That's that was one thing that the beauty of it that I got down there late season was no bugs because you go there in September, you got to have two thermos cells running and you're constantly you're just swatting. <laughs> see now, absolutely. I'd... Welcome to our world. <laughs> I was going to say, I hear people talk about how bad the mosquitoes are on the island, and I wonder from my perspective of hunting swamps here in Florida, I'm like, are they that bad, or are they just normal to me? I, I'll tell you this. I bet you they give Florida a run for their money. I'm telling you. It's, yeah. It is bad. It's I, bad as bad as you get. I was scouting my early season permit this year, and if I stopped uh, – <laughs> for like five seconds i shit you not i probably had at least 300 mosquitoes on me i mean it was awful i don't know i can remember hunting bull creek with with al and having it we would be afternoon hunt you'd sit there it'd start getting dark and all about the same time it sounded like a pack of harleys fired up And, and the closer you got to the ground when you were coming down your tree, the louder it got. And yeah. when you you just yep. you hit the ground, you better keep moving because they were on you. Oh, yeah, I, they're I, bad. I can teach y'all a trick about that though too. Uh, when you're hunting in your tree stands, if you ever notice, I learned this when I played baseball. 
be sitting out there in center field swatting bugs. If you take take a old take a bow hanger, an extra bow hanger, hang it above your head, hang a hat, or an extra hat or your hat above your head, the mosquitoes will go to the highest point on you. So like if you're ever standing or standing out in the field or whatever trying to get mosquitoes off of you, take your hat, take your arm, put your hat put your hat up as high as you can. All those bugs will go to that hat. So when I hunt out there early season, I'll always take an extra bow hanger, hang it above my head, and I'll hang my hat about two, three feet above my head, and they'll all swarm up there, and they're not in my face. Hmm. Now that's interesting. I've never heard that. I've also, it, I've also but it makes heard, sense. Now I've also heard that obvious. Uh, if you didn't know, mosquitoes' natural predator is dragonflies. Like dragonflies eat the mess out of mosquitoes. Um, mm-hmm. And I've also heard of people using like a dragonfly fly for like fly fishing and sticking it in the top of their hat. And when the mosquitoes see the dragonfly, they naturally stay away from the predator. Don't know if it works, but I have a dragonfly Hmm. fly and I'm going to test it out this summer. If I remember (laughs) when that time comes around and I've seen people go as far as to wear like, cause, uh, the, the lady was, she's like, people always ask me why I don't get ate up by mosquitoes. And she's wearing like a scarf, a light, scarf in the summertime it's just got dragonfly print all over it <laughs> i was like I don't, I don't know man maybe there's something to that but i can also tell you i am 100 percent convinced that thermocell switched away from using permethrin in their pads several years ago because i started soaking my pads in permethrin this year and they work 10 times better than regular thermocell pads i'll agree with that too the other thing that um has helped me major difference is the insect shield from sika you put that stuff on and they do not want to go near you. Even like when I'm turkey hunting, I haven't had a tick on me in two, three years, ever since I switched to and started wearing that stuff. What, um, what is it? Maybe you ought to get that, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> so Sitka came out with, a, it's called their insect shield about two years ago. And it's like a bug repellent uh, fibers in their, um, in their clothing. I don't know exactly what technology they all got going on with it but it is it's incredible i've been wearing it the last two years and turkey season we pennsylvania maryland that's where the most ticks are in most of the countries we're really bad with ticks and i haven't had a tick on me in two three years and uh same with mosquitoes they don't touch you and even when i'm fishing sometimes in the lake i'll wear that base layer and they won't touch me hmm that's something so it is a base layer it's not their actual camo it's but just a base layer it's just a base layer, but yeah. like when I'm hunting out in uh, Nebraska, Wyoming, or when it's real hot here, when it's 90 to 100 degrees, and then down in Texas, like it's real thin, it's breathable, and I wear it when I'm turkey hunting in the spring because you can get their uh, their lightweight series, or I think they have it in a yeah. midweight too. It'll keep you decently warm now also. I mean, that's st- this stuff is awesome. That's worth it. Yeah, that's worth whatever if it works it's worth it. i don't care what they want for it 40 bucks yeah for uh, sure it's worth it that's not bad no not at all no no Dang, i'll give it a shot but you know you see stuff like that and it's hard to judge uh whether it actually works without hearing somebody who's worn it and said yeah it works because of course there's plenty of their own advertisements says it works great yeah and every time i see that i think about like i'm i'm not you ever seen a hex suit The guys I have, I've seen, I've seen the hex at a trade show, but I've never seen anybody wearing it like in the woods or. Well, like, it's. A, I've never actually seen somebody buy it or wear it's it. It's a, it's a base layer too, and they, I mean, of course, all their advertisements swear by it, but I just don't know that I, I buy it. 
I mean, if somebody wanted to give it to me, like, here, I'll prove you wrong. Yeah, I'll, I'll try it. <laughs> but <laughs> that's I don't know go that I've ever even seen bucks. it. You never seen HECS? It's no. like a, it's supposed to like because you, you have the you have they claim you have some sort of electromagnetic field around you and it's got metal fibers in it and it grounds it and the animals because animals can sense like a fish. So it's like when they try to convince you with those bracelets that had the copper in them that you'd have better balance. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Power balance. Old power balance, or like yeah. the old, uh, there was a necklace too that all the baseball players used to wear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my son has one of those, he wears it all the time. <laughs> oh man, but now it's just a style thing. I don't even know they have that power balance, it's just like a synthetic fiber rope necklace. I've got a Columbia shirt that's supposed to be insect guard, yeah, that they can't buy through. I don't know, I don't. Does it work? I couldn't tell you. I haven't worn it that much, and not, not where there's been insects around anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But so, what drew? Obviously, you said you you hunted them with your dad as a kid, and you've seen your dad kill a few. And mind you, these things can live like twenty years in the wild. From what I understand, like they're they're not like white tail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you're getting eight, nine years, maybe if you're lucky. These things get old, and you're so your your stags are only getting. They have a a rack similar to an elk, obviously a lot smaller because these things are only hundred or so pounds dressed. They're tiny, like Florida deer. <laughs> yeah, and, but in order to get one with a fork in it, they're supposed, I guess, supposed to be pretty old. Do you ever find sheds wandering around out there? No, and I've, I've, I'll be the first to tell you I really haven't looked because I'm assuming they just fall in the water. A lot this of the areas true. I hunt is is out in the middle of the marsh. Like I'm sure guys find them, especially on public land where they got a lot of oak flats and hardwoods that they come in off the marsh um, and they feed them all the time. So I'm sure they got some around corn piles that they'll find them. But I've never really looked because where I'm hunting, it's 10 foot of frag and I'm trying to find a tree out in the middle of the, out in the, middle of the marsh. So I actually have. I'm just worried about not falling. I actually have a sick of shed at the house, and I, had I thought about it, I'd have brought it. How did you get it? Because I did a bunch of filming on that high fence ranch down in uh, South Florida. Yeah. And they got them on there, and I was walking around to it one day, and I was like, "What's this?" Just reached down through the bushes, picked up. I mean, it's a little one. It's a young one, but yeah, it's just a little shed. Got it at the house. Oh, that's pretty good. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Been uh, holding back on us, Jordan. No kidding. Yeah. I forgot I had it until you asked about sheds, and I was like, oh, dude, I got one of those at the house. <laughs> uh, so wh- what the heck is frag? I keep hearing that over and over again. So it's a, it's a, type, of, it's a type of marsh. Uh, locals will call it phragmitis, frag for short, and it's just the it's monster reeds. It's the type of marsh that they got on the eastern shore. I wish I knew more about it. I just know it's called frag. It's like a it's like a monster cattail, and it that stuff will get to like 10, 15 feet tall. So like when you're hunting, you want to be at least 30, 40 feet up in the tree. I usually like sitting around 30, 35 when I'm sick of your hunt because you want to be able to see down in there, down in that frag. And when you're hunting them, you're listening for water splashing, and you're watching for that frag to just move or hear it crack a little bit for them to be coming through. And you're fighting your way through that to get somewhere. Oh yeah, and it's miserable. It's thick, like 
when you're sick of deer hunting, there's no such thing as getting in there out, out in the marsh, unless you got a hardwood spot that's oak flat. That's a little different, but if you're hunting out in that marsh, there's no such thing as a quiet entry. So they, do they, assuming they're eating stuff out of the marsh, uh, obviously eating some sort of plant out there, whether they're eating a frag or something else, how often do they come up into those oak flats like that? I, I know they, they don't, I mean, they share habitat with white-tailed deer, but from the reading I did on, on Maryland's DNR website, um, they're not necessarily encroaching completely onto the same habitat as white-tailed deer use. And that's what's allowed them to be, uh, so successful as a, as a species, uh, because they're not really sharing all of the same browse as white-tailed deer. Yeah, I mean, they they get up when those acorns drop. They're they'll get on those acorns pretty heavy. Um, they won't hit them like a whitetail, but they do get on the oak flats pretty heavy. And then also too, it, it provides them good bedding. Um, so they'll they'll get on those oak flats, especially too if you get like a coastal flood, it'll push them into the mainland more. But a lot of real big stags, um, you'll find them more out in the middle of the marsh, unless again, unless you have some private land where you can bait. You got corn piles and draw those deer in, but a lot of the bigger stags, they stay out in the Phragmitis and uh, they just live out there. They, they thrive out there. So is it pretty much impossible to hunt them from the ground or? Um, no. Um, like I said, there's, there's some areas down in Dorchester County that are, that are hardwoods and they'll come in off the marsh. So I know a lot of guys will go down there like the rifle season, they'll walk, They'll hike back in and those deer will be on the mainland and they'll shoot them with a rifle. Um, my dad, uh, years and years ago, I don't know if he, if it's still, uh, the record, but, um, him and a buddy killed the state record stag with a flintlock, um, about probably 10, 12 years ago. And that was on, that was on mainland on a public spot. And I'm, they hiked back in, uh, three or four miles and, and that was on the ground, uh, just sitting on the ground up against a tree. So how big is the state record? How, how big, okay, so how, let me think I had to phrase that question. How big was the stag that your dad and his buddy killed in order to be the state record? I forget the exact measurements of it. Um, it'd be really easy if I could just show you a picture of, like, just to compare, like, the one that I shot is, to put and compare the one that I harvested this year is compared to a whitetail is probably like a 150 160 and then if you're putting a, a stag into white tail terms that's close to like 200 it'll be like a main it big stags will either have eight it'll be a four by four or a monster three by three but when you really want to look for a big stag you're looking at his hooks and then you're looking obviously too up at his forks and um usually a big one will be uh, about 15 inches high uh and then two when you're looking at their bodies a real old stag will have almost like a mane coming off of his uh, neck. That's what it is. Kind of like a goat. Kind of, yeah, kind of, yeah. They seem almost similar in size to a goat, too, from what I understand. Like a like not They're like a little goat, but like a big big meat goat, just not as tall. Yeah, they're literally 100 pounds. They're like, you got a Rottweiler, a Lab, or a Husky at home, same size. <laughs> at least at least the uh, the drag shouldn't be too bad then, because you know, I assume they float like white-tailed deer once you get them in the water. <laughs> yeah, you either throw them on your shoulders and you're walking through that fragmite, <laughs> so you're like me. You, you put them on a – you get them on that kayak as quick as you, as quick as you can and throw them out, because, man, dragging them things through there is – it's just – it's hell. It is hell. 
So I saw some of your absolutely. You have a question? Yeah, I was gonna say what what made you choose? You know, because I saw that you, uh, in your post that I saw that I sent to William, it was you on a kayak, and it had the Sitka deer on it. Um, what made you choose to use water for access? Like you know, you say some people access via mainland, but you know what what drew the water access to you? Just for me, uh, the area that I'm hunting, it's the only way you can get to this spot is unless you're hiking. I mean, it's all it's all landlocked by private, and the only way you could access this spot is from the main bay, from the from like the coast. And there's cuts and creeks that go back through this frag. Now you could take a boat out in the bay and then park it on the beach, and you can be my guest and you can walk two to three miles back through all that stuff and <laughs> blow everything out on your way be dripping in sweat but no i use a kayak because one it's it's super quiet it's way easier than walking and then two i can get all my gear my camera gear my tree stand right on the back and then when you're if i am successful getting them out it's a hell of a lot easier to throw them on the front of the kayak and you can just paddle them out so i got about a mile about a mile paddle back to this spot and it's just it's way easier than walking so did you get this kill on film I wish. Um, literally, I shot him at with I think he was at six or seven yards, and I'm self as as you know how self filming goes. Um, <laughs> it's it's tough, and I wasn't. I was. He was coming right under me, and he was. It was right at first light, and literally, I was waiting for daylight to break just so I could see my pins enough. And he stood under me, and I was in a saddle, so. When I'm hunting them, I, I like to, when I'm sick of deer hunting, I like to sit long. So I'll use a, my Elevate tree stand. They great company, great people. Um, their stand is about six pounds. They're, they're ultra. So it's like a, it's like a monster saddle platform that on a long day, I can, I can also sit down and I was in a saddle. So facing the tree and he came on my right side. So as obviously as a right-handed shooter, you're, you, that's your bad side. And he came in under me and stood under me for like two minutes and I had to wait for him to come under me. And he did that. And I have the camera in the spot that I thought he was going to walk. And he ended up veering a little bit back to my left. So I shot him hard quartering away. And it was either you shoot a big sick of stag that you've been dreaming about, or you try to get it on film and have him bust you because he was pretty weary. Um, he was moving real slow through there and he was, yeah, and then that point too, he was getting downwind to me, and I didn't want him to bust. So, I took my opportunity, and you can hear it; it's great. But yeah. obviously, yeah. You can't, I didn't get it. Swack. Yeah, we got a we got a video like that on our YouTube. Yeah. Except Jordan made yeah, you some. Can, you wicked. can hear me losing my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luckily, I had, I had had my GoPro uh, yeah, you can, running you, as my you second camera angle. You can't see the shot, but you can definitely hear it. And watch Jordan go nuts. And you had a wicked shot angle on that deer. Well, he looked like he was about to fall out of his saddle when he shot, too. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. the way he had to turn. Well, he, he came, to, he came into my right side. Yeah. yeah. He came into your right side just like his. The the problem, the main problem with Jordan was, though, was that instead of turning or turning to his right side and then drawing the bow, he drew the bow and then turned and had, you had a tree in your way. Yeah, because I was in like, uh, it was one the tree started as one at the bottom and then like branched out to three, which I used as cover once I got up there. But 
I was just in the buck fever and excitement and everything. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't think. It looks. Uh, I mean, you you can you watch that shot and you can pick it all apart. But you know what? It doesn't matter because that deer is hanging on your wall. Yeah. I mean, he's dead. He chose the, the right thing by not worrying about filming it and getting shot. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And it happens, dude. I, like, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up that opportunity either just to get it on film. You do no. what you got to do to to bring home, you know, what you've been hunting for. Are you still gonna have a video out for it? What's that? Are you still gonna have a it's, video it's out it's for it? It's cutting in and out. No, I probably won't, just because. I mean, I do the stuff on Instagram and posted that video, but as far as the hunt goes, I didn't get enough B roll of the hunt itself. Um, to just like to put together something like that uh and i learned the hard way too we were talking about self-filming all that for two three years i refused to shoot a buck unless i had it on video and i was spending a lot of time out in missouri uh for that point and i passed on a lot of deer um on like 160s 170s that would have been the biggest bucks of my life and i was just a i was just stubborn stuck in my ways and instead of i learned the hard way instead of having that moment and that that deer on my wall i was dedicated trying to get it on film and i learned the hard way and i decided no more of that let's take a break real quick the under pressure outdoors podcast is brought to you in part by hang free with a mission to provide top quality products for the best possible price hang free believes that the saddle hunting experience is worth more than money they create both tried and true products as well as debut new items to the saddle hunting community, creating a community of saddle hunters that don't have to break the bank to participate in the hobby that they love. Do yourself a favor and join the Hang Free family this hunting season. They truly have everything you need. Don't forget to use offer code UPO10 at checkout for 10% off your order at hangfree.co. So I noticed a trend, especially this year, in a lot of the mobile hunting things, dude, the canoes and the kayaks are some silent killers. Like accessing via water that way and, and being able to pack all that stuff out. People are having a lot of success doing that. And it's not even necessarily that you're getting, I mean, a lot of times you're getting places where it's harder for other people to get to. Yeah. You can get in a place you can't sure. go. Right. Uh, but you're, also, you are sneaking in because you think how quiet you can be in a canoe or a kayak. You are sneaking in there. Now you have to plan for that extra time yeah. that's going to take you to get to where you want to go. But So using, like, in my experience, using a kayak to hunt, um, you're going just about as fast as you're walking. You can get about three miles an hour when you're paddling. And especially if you have the current going with you, you get a little extra boost um, and it's a heck of a lot quieter. So I don't think it takes that much more time besides having to unload it and load it. That's fair. I mean, well, and if it gets you through past half of the bad stuff coming in from the water versus going in from the land, it makes more sense to do it that way anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. We're do- I'm doing a huge project this spring, actually, with a uh, boat. We're going to do a 10 state turkey tour and we're going to use, we're going to show how you can access certain public lands and areas using a creek turkey hunt with a kayak or a canoe or one of their micro skiffs it's going to be pretty fun cool 
Where, where are you going? What's, what 10 states are you going to? As of right now, we got Pennsylvania, Maryland, Virginia, uh, Bama, maybe Mississippi, Missouri. We usually do Texas, possibly Florida if we can make it work, up to Vermont and uh, see what else we got going along the way. Um, we usually hit about 10 states a year. Well, if you come down to Florida, you'd be sure to let us know. I might have to. Yeah, I'm. I want to because that's the only one that we could get to in March if we can make it work. Yeah. Because up here in Pennsylvania, our turkey season doesn't even start till May first. Right. Well, yeah, ours ends in April. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a little too cold to be hunting turkeys in April and March in Pennsylvania, typically. Uh I don't know. I. I hate our turkey season up here because it's so late. You usually get about two good weeks, if that, um, because they're they're usually going uh, at like the beginning of April, middle of April. May's almost a little late, I think, personally. And you hear the like same Mar- thing like, from people in Florida yep. about our turkey season. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like Maryland, West Virginia, uh, they they open April fifteenth, and we don't start until two weeks later. Jesus. All right, so let's let's dive into this to this story. Start. So, when did you decide you were going back to Maryland to make an attempt at killing uh, Seeker deer? It was this summer. I really I I had time. I went down this summer and scouted the old areas that my dad took me to when I was a kid. Walked them all. Didn't take the kayak, so I I did it the hard way and walked through everything and. Found my areas, found my trails, did my scouting, hung some cameras, had some cameras stolen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I found the stuff I was looking for, and I knew I wouldn't be able to hunt them from September to November just because all the traveling I had to do for work and doing some filming stuff for other companies. But that gave me the late season, gave me the time to go down and try to get get one on the ground and... I was lucky enough to actually get it done in my fourth set. Um, I shot a hind the night, the day before that too. And then I was lucky enough to get my stag. But yeah, this summer I really decided to, uh, to really get after it and be like, this is, this is going to be the year I'm going to do it because I talked about it every year and I just never had the time. And this year I made sure I had time to, to make it happen. What does the season run on them? Um, usually goes from September to, I think, January 20th. Wow. And they if rut. If I'm correct. They rut in October, from what I've read. Yep. Yeah, they'll rut, like, usually beginning second week of October is when it'll kick off. And that's when they'll, you'll hear all the noises. You'll just be sitting in the marsh and you'll hear bugling and then they growl. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. Like, I remember the first time I ever heard it. I was I was a little kid sitting with my dad, and I was scared shitless. I hear this like, this growl noise. I can I can think of hunt two boys that hunted with me when they were that way too to hear something. Usually it was a coyote. Ugh. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure I told my dad to get me the heck out of the woods, but he was like, "It's fine, it's fine." I'm like, and I was I remember it. I remember it like it was yesterday hearing that for the first time <laughs> the hell it is fine you just hear that, that noise came out of the bushes <laughs> mm-hmm. heck yeah Especially in, in that marsh too i'm, I'm out oh, i'm, I'm good yeah that's a lock ness monster <laughs> i'm sure that place comes alive with all kinds of crazy noises at night oh yeah i mean from when it's warm from the frogs from the certain bugs the birds 
the ducks and the geese because that's too it's one of the main stop stopping grounds for ducks and geese it's it's never quiet yeah so you over the summer you decided you finally decided you're gonna go and what what month did you go to hunt uh it was january i okay. finally i was able to get down in january so with work I, I wasn't able to get down there um when i wanted to and then plus i was chasing whitetails in the midwest getting my butt kicked and uh it was time i made i made time the late season to um go down and hunt them so we're talking just a few weeks ago you were there yeah when literally when you when you messaged me when you saw that video that's when that hunt was oh wow i was i was breaking i was breaking ice paddling uh paddling the, the deer back <laughs> Good Lord. And those were some absolutely beautiful photos. We'll, we'll tag your Instagram and stuff in the bottom of this, uh, in the podcast description to go back and look at some of that stuff. Like, man, I assume that like the drone photos and stuff you took of you paddling that thing out of there, like that was something else. And then to go in there and take such a difficult hunt and to add another level of difficulty to it and do it with a bow. Cause I assume at that time you probably could have used a muzzle or a rifle, correct? No, it, so they do a three-day special rifle season. It was past that, so it was bow only at that point. It was their just late archery. Their muzzleloader season had ended. Well, not only that, but those woods have been trampled through the whole season. You're at the end of the season. Uh, you know, unlike a whitetail here, by the end of the season, you, you're not seeing nothing. Yeah. Not, mm-hmm. not, not. I mean, that's how it is here in Pennsylvania, too. Yeah. yeah. They don't they, matter. They've seen it all and smelled it all already. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was like the stars aligned because there was that massive cold front that was coming through where um, it was getting down to single digits at night, teams during the day, so they got to move. So I I saw that cold front. And I was like, I cleared my schedule. I was like, I need to get down there. Man, that's I don't know. I want to go. I want to get up there and do it. I was gonna say I <clears throat> I've thought about it for a long time. Like I would love to do it. It's just, what's your drive from where you're at down to there? About four hours. That's a lot closer than what our drive would be. <laughs> we and drive to Alabama further than that. Yeah, and it's uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like Interstate 95 the whole way, and I freaking hate 95. <laughs> I hate having 95 is terrible. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you're at on 95. 95 is terrible. <laughs> yeah, if you're not doing 95, you're getting run over. Well, it's not even yeah. that man you you get up you get on 95 especially through florida and like south georgia yeah but um, when you hit camden county you better slow down yeah but the <laughs> thing is is like you get on 75 and you go north on 75 up through central georgia and central florida area and central north florida every rest stop or every every like exit there's like five six seven different places to eat go to the bathroom gas station it's 95 boy you better like mcdonald's or burger king because that's all there is going up 95 through florida into south georgia and it's very sparse i mean there's there's nothing on 95 it's like driving across i-10 except going north um but so you go down there you pack in the kayak you got the bow and uh I, you you said you'd got out and scouted some and set cameras. What are you looking for? Is it similar to scouting whitetail deer when you're down there? No. So when when I'm scouting the area that I'm hunting, it's you're looking for these monster trails that it's in the marsh, and they'll just have highways. And that and the good thing is if you find one of them highways, you can see where the hard ground is, and it'll make it easier to walk. But too, it kind of stinks because that's your only way in because you got to go on that deer's trail. 
So you got to hope that that thing's not smelling your footsteps coming in too. How how good so, is their scent plays smell. a big factor? Yeah. How good is their scent? So, in my in my experience, I definitely think a white tail a white tail's smell is a little bit better, and they're more skittish. Actually, no, I shouldn't say they're more skittish. Um, their smell is better, but a stick of deer, I don't think they rely on their nose as much as a white tail. Um, in my experience, because here here's the thing: you you see a stick of deer at night when you're driving. They're dumber than rocks. You can literally walk up to that thing pretty much and pet them. They like they just freeze. But during the day, they are some of the hardest dang animals to hunt just because where they live. But um, as far as smell goes, like yeah, that they're like a whitetail. But at the same time, I don't think I don't think they really hone in like a whitetail does downwind. Because when I when a sick of deer's gotten downwind from me from me, they get real curious. They really, really, really want to figure out what you are. But then there's other times where a mature stag, I've had one two hundred yards out in the marsh and I see him put his head up and he's gone. That's interesting. <clears throat> well they don't get that big being stupid. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, <laughs> I've I've said it in the past and uh, I kinda wonder if sick uh, are the same way as whitetail, but I've heard somebody say that Whitetail don't multitask very well. So, like, if he has your scent, it's harder for him to notice your, like, see you. Or if he sees you, it's harder for him to wind you. And mm-hmm. I kind of wonder if Sitka are the same way. Yeah, I know my last answer, I really didn't make much sense. But as from <laughs> hunting a whitetail to a Sitka deer, I would be more... I would be more scared of a white tail's nose than a sick of deer's nose. Right. That's interesting. It, Cause I don't know, maybe it's got something to do with the, you know, when I talked to you, I messaged back and forth with you earlier, I kind of uh, like looks wise, uh, the rack and the, the body style, <clears throat> I put them akin to sandbar deer. And I don't know much about any, if anything about sandbar deer's nose, other than the fact that I do know they have two sets of nostrils. So you have one at the end of the nose, and then you have another set closer to the eyeballs so they can stick their heads down in the water, in the marsh, to feed. And they can still breathe through their nose while they're doing that. That's pretty unreal. I didn't know that about them. I knew of them because I guided with a buddy out in North Dakota, and he's the one that told me about them and showed me them because obviously we were swapping stories about sick of deer, and then he was telling me about them, and those things are freaking sweet. We're looking forward to it. I'm hoping this year we draw it. If not this year, probably next year. I think we're running on five, five points, points now. Yeah. Five points to three of us here. So we'll see. And that's another one where you're only going in by boat. Yeah. Literally, because it's an yeah. island. And, yeah. and that it's one. It's on an island. And another thing, you know, you don't think about either is that you come in by boat, but you're on the coast like that. So you're having to deal with tide. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing hunting secondary. You got to deal with tide. Yeah. Because you, you that's could, another reason why I use kayak. You go in at high tide, and if you stay too long and tide goes out, there ain't water where water was, or vice versa. Uh, you you stop somewhere because it got dry and you don't tie up good enough. You come back and well, buddy, where'd the kayak go? Yeah, you're not using a kayak. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's what uses a kayak. You just, yeah. you can drag that sucker as yeah. far as you want. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will say I got real lucky that I have an anchor on my kayak because. The first time I hunted that spot, 
I drove, I drove my kayak up a pretty good ways and I was not expecting the tide to come up that high and my kayak was not where I left it. (laughs) Thank God I had an anchor. (laughs) So you get down there in January, it's obviously freezing cold. We had a pretty good, couple good cold fronts in January. Um, and you're out there with the bow. What, uh, what, what's going, what, what's your game plan when you got on the ground? When I get, whoa. When, when you got, when you got on, when you got to Maryland, what was your, what was your game plan there? What did you formulate from the scouting you able, you're able to do? Like you knew exactly where you were going to go. Did you have a, that hind mm-hmm. or a, or, or a, the, that stag on camera in that area? You knew he was there where you kind of going in just based on woodsmanship and sign you had there. So I was just basically going off of the sign that I found that summer. Um, I knew there was a bunch of deer in that area um, just from my dad hunting when I was a kid. And I went back this summer, same thing. There was all the sign. So I went in there, put my kayak in. I I knew the area that I wanted to be in and got in the tree where I wanted to be. And uh, luckily it just stars aligned and I was lucky enough to get one. That's sweet. So so you're hunting – the same area, like literally to a T, the same area that your dad was in. Literally. My dad took me to this spot when I was a little kid. Back when I back uh, when I was a little kid, he took me into this spot by a boat. And then, uh, this is going 10, 12 years ago, he, he also had access from a friend to access this spot from private land. So we used to be able to walk in there. And so literally, it's just a probably 30 yards by 50 yards just a solid piece of ground and there's probably like 20 trees on it and then you're just surrounded by 10 foot of frag and marsh so it's like a little island like a point that comes out in the marsh and i knew that's a spot where i wanted to be because it's like a big tunnel and everything that comes out of the marsh is going to funnel down that uh yeah that uh, little peninsula coming out and yeah it was a spot my dad used to take me when i was a little kid and that's why it was so special for me because I remember that spot when I was a little kid and I was able to kill a deer at that spot grown. So it yeah. was, like I said, it was, it was really dang special. Does frag have any kind of odor? Does it put off any kind of an odor? I don't know if the frag does itself, but I know I can tell you that soil and that marsh does that stuff. stinks. <laughs> I was wondering if, if, there's there's some plants here like gallberries that have an odor. Um, your dog fennels have an odor. There's another plant that grows. I don't I don't know what it is, but they've got odors that that may mask that deer's nose or confuse it that they can't. You know their their sense scent is can't pick up your scent as easy because of all the other. You know, that, that's a good point. Maybe that's why I killed that stag that morning, because I can tell you, I, I busted my ass pretty hard that morning. I fell. Both arms went in the marsh and got nice and muddy. So I, 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 smelled, pro- I smelled probably great. You probably uh, smelled yeah. like the marsh. Yeah, he smelled just <laughs> yeah, like exactly. what he was like. <laughs> I mean, I've walked through that's the woods. Was- I picked up taking dog fennel and grabbed it the, the, and rubbed it on my skin, rubbed it on my pants just to... Because it's got a scent, it's kind right. of using it as a, using a, nat- a natural cover scent, um, and it it's got to help. Dude, that's got to suck though to fault like because I know in your drone picture there are definitely chunks of ice in the water. <laughs> so if you're falling into the mud, you're getting wet and like you've got to be freezing. Oh, cold. 
Oh, yeah, it was. Luckily, I I just my it was like my le- up to my left elbows where I caught myself and like my wrist was cold and luckily I had on some waterproof gloves because it wasn't my first rodeo. But uh, <laughs> man, as far as my forearms go, I was cold. My hand, yeah. Luckily, my hands were dry because I had on those waterproof gloves walking in. Yeah, everything I've read <laughs> says. I, I, everything I've read says you better be at least in hip waders. Yeah, so what I do is I'm wearing waders when I walk in, and what I'll do is, like, a, like a good shoe is, like, those Hey Dudes. I wear the Frog Togs version because they're waterproof, but I'll put a – I'll have heated socks or a heated sole in there. So when I get to the tree, I take my waders off, and I'll just slip that shoe on. That way I'm not up in the tree in, in waders. Yeah, I've been hunting in those uh, Gator Waiter camp boots. I, hunt, I don't – I didn't hunt anything but those all season. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a single complaint about. It. Look, granted, it didn't get cold enough in Florida to really need an actual insulated boot. But I was I was going to say, if you wear those little rubber boots, your toe's going to freeze. Yeah, <laughs> that's I what you know, got that, on right now. That last last year, that last trip we made to Alabama, it was seventeen degrees when we went out on Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. But it, so uh, when you're coming in, right, you're hunting these trails. Are you sitting? Like, you know, you, you're walking in the exact trail the deer is coming in, and then are you picking a tree right on that trail and then just sitting directly over the trail? Or So, yeah, so depending on the area that you hunt, on that peninsula I was telling you about, there was two spots I had picked out, and there was just one single pine that is literally just five yards off that main trail that's just like a highway. Like, it looks like you could drive a four-wheeler on it. And I would get about 30 feet on that one, and my shot's going to be straight down. But the other spot I was hunting, it was in that, in that peninsula where it was, like I said, it was like 30 yards by 50 yards and there was like 20 trees in there. So there's a bunch of trails that come in and I was just trying to get on a tree where my wind was good, but I could shoot that whole hard spot where that hard ground is. Um, so that's how I set up when I killed that stag luckily. And he came in on one of the trails behind me and worked his way to that middle. And luckily I was able to get a shot. All right, so give me the tailgate story you after after the hunt. I, I want it from the moment you climbed up to uh, fighting your way back out of there with said stag through all the ice and water and mud. And... So dragging him out, um, I was not. So I left all my stuff at the base of the tree. Start, start me at the the start me at the beginning, and and work Very me beginning. So getting out of your kayak, yeah. So I, I take my kayak in, pull my kayak up, and so where I'm at, where I pull up, the marsh isn't, it's not as high, so I'm able to walk back, and I got to jump across a little creek, and then you get into the thick stuff, and it's like, where I'm getting in, it's probably like 30 yards, and from being there in the summer, I had my trail marked on hunt stand where I knew where I could walk and take that deer trail in. But when you're walking, you, you got to take your hands and you got to bend that frag out of your way. And then you're kind of taking a step, one step at a time, just trying to be as quiet as you can while you're moving those reeds. And you get to the base of the tree about an hour early, take your waders off. I get my stand hung, get my sticks hung, get my camera arm up and I'm sitting and I'm sitting up in the tree and I'm actually starting to think about a pop tart. Um, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to see one. I was like, there's no way I'm going to see one this quick. And, uh, 
see my pop tart hanging in the bag. So I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm about to go for you. And literally, as I'm thinking that, I hear I hear splashing behind me, and uh, sure enough, one came at first light, and I was able to shoot him. And he, I literally watched him die at 20 yards, and I was stoked because I got to go home. I mean, at this point, it, it's been a really long season. I'm just ready to be home and relax. But I was running on fumes and had some, some had a little bit left in the tank, and. I'm very, very, very happy that I ended up going because I remember like, I was starting to doubt it because it was late season. Like you said earlier, everybody's trampling in. You got all that pressure from rifle season, all that stuff. Like, how is this going to come together? Is this actually going to happen? And God bless me and it happened. And shot him, got down. And luckily where he ran, he died on the trail that I take out to the kayak. <laughs> So God was really looking out for me. That don't happen. <laughs> no. So God was really, really looking out for me. So I just had to drag him a little bit through the marsh. And then to get him out, you throw him on your shoulders. That's the easiest way. Because you don't want to sit there and pull him through those reeds. So I left all my stuff at the base of the tree, carried him out to the kayak, went back in, got the rest of my stuff, and then put him on. And... That, that was it and kayaked him out of about a mile back out and luckily the tide was going out too so i got a little bit of help on that end too did you eat your um, pop tart no i didn't <laughs> <laughs> no no victory pop tart <laughs> no victory pop tart i was i was on cloud nine i i forgot i even had the pop tart i mean, <laughs> I, mean I've, I've got to i've got to kill some pretty cool things in my life but that nothing compared to that i mean i remember at one bar of service i actually climbed back up in the tree just to call my dad and uh my dad and i are big rocky fans i just remember he couldn't hear me and i just sent him a text and i just say yo adrian i did it <laughs> so that's that's awesome it, it, yeah that's one of those things you, you kind of forget uh how important it is to be able to get a hold of that that person like i i know i've always called you when you know you're, you're not there we kill it there even if you are at the camp it's all the phone calls always yeah always goes out to dad and then uh my brother and my wife and like, you can watch that uh series of phone calls take place with the video we took of my son when he killed his first two deer this year we call <laughs> mom and then we call grandpa and and before we ever got out of the tree stand, everybody's pumped, and that it's I don't know. To me, that's what hunting's about. It's about the people you get to share it with. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah. And and I, I one of my really one of my good buddies, he actually uh, moved down there and lives down there, and he let he let me stay at his place that was down on the island, so I wouldn't have to. I have a rooftop tent on my truck, so I didn't have to sleep in there. And he, he let me stay at his place. So he gave me a place to stay and a shout out Connor for that, because without him staying down there, I wouldn't have been comfortable. It was cold. And he let me stay down there. And that's the reason I was able to get down there and hunt that deer. Yeah. Man, that's something else. How's the meat? Oh, it's it, nothing compares. That is the best wild game meat in the world. Um, it's but it's better than elk. It's better than axis deer. I mean, it's it is phenomenal. It makes you makes you really sad you don't get that much off of it. 
I was going to say you're the, <laughs> yeah, that's, the, yeah. You say that and <laughs> next thing you know it I'm going to end up being another one of those public land trucks that clogs that place up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And you were fortunate enough to get enough to actually put a decent amount of meat in the freezer this year. You said you killed a hind as well the day before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I was, I, I was wrong. It was two days prior. It was the first afternoon I got down there. I got down there like midday, and I'm sitting there that first afternoon, and a group of 10 hind came in, and I, I shot her literally at five yards, and uh, I could have emptied my quiver that night because they just stood there. They didn't know what the heck happened. <laughs> But I was like, I'm, there's got to be a, a stag somewhere, and I never saw one. And I sat all day the next day, didn't see a single deer. And then literally the third day, that morning, first 30 minutes of being in the tree, I was fortunate enough to harvest him. So you only allowed two? Uh, I think you're, you get two, and then you can get a third one, but you can only shoot one per season. So you get one for the late season, one for the gun season, one for the early season. Oh, okay. But then if you hunt, but if you hunt some of the reserve areas like Blackwater, um, and I'm drawing a blank on the other one, they give you tags, and those tags will not count towards um, your main your main tag. Huh. Nice. Is the population that high on them? They're doing pretty dang good. Um, like I said, they have they have no predators out there besides us. Yeah, from, so from what I read, the initial thought uh, from Maryland DNR was that these are going to compete with white-tailed deer. So th- there, there was almost like a, I wouldn't say a kill order out there, but they really pushed to have a more productive season to kill more. And then they started to realize that um, these, they're actually not competing with white-tailed deer because they exist a lot in the marsh. And from what I've read, they're extremely nocturnal, like mm-hmm. to to the point that they. You know, obviously white-tailed deer go nocturnal, but they're really not a nocturnal species. They do a lot of their moving during the daylight. But under pressure, they will start to move uh, more in the later right, evening. Right, a thick like, deer is a nocturnal species. Right, but they are nocturnal. So they don't, they're harder to, it's, it's like the sandbar deer. They're even, and on the sandbar hunt, you can't hunt. They're so nocturnal that you cannot hunt after 3 p.m. Like, they're like, nope, no afternoon hunts because your success rate would go through the roof. And there's only, the last I checked, I think 90 of those on that island you can hunt them on. Um, but the, the sick of deer, they, they don't compete with the white-tailed deer for food for the most part. Their, their areas overlap, but not so significantly that it hurts the white-tailed deer population. So they just let it go. <laughs> and now you have another population that lives just on the fringes of the white-tailed habitat. And he like, killed his in the morning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right at daylight, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're waiting to make sure you can see your pins. Yeah, I was literally, I was, luckily he stopped because if he, if he would have just kept moving along, I wouldn't have been able to see my pins. Um, even with the, even with the light, because obviously if you got your light turned on, it was that dark where that pin's glaring and he would have just been a silhouette and it just wouldn't have been an ethical shot, even at five yards. And luckily he just, was just grazing under me for like two to three minutes that gave me just enough daylight to see my pins and make a good clean ethical shot. Now, did you kill him in the same spot you killed the hind? Yeah. Same tree. Yep. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> so I, you know, I've been thinking about it this whole time. You say you hunt out of a saddle and you say you hunt 30 foot up. So, I mean, what do you, I, 
you and you, you mentioned sticks as plural earlier. So how, how many sticks are you running? So I run four sticks and then I'll run an eighter. I'll run a three step eighter at the bottom. I'm also six foot three and built like a monkey. My lens yeah. are super long. Uh, so, and I use, I use my elevate sticks and, um, literally four of those sticks, I believe is three pounds. I could be wrong. So I'm super, I'm super lightweight. I'm not carrying a lot of weight and, uh, I'm able to get 30, 35. Um, but I'm, I'm stretching cause I got long legs and I got long arms to, to be able to do that. And that, at that aider, it gives me that extra six feet at the bottom. So. Oh yeah, no, I've seen it. You cause so we run hang free saddles and, uh, we were out here in my backyard with Van from Hang Free, and he was kind of showing us how to use some of that stuff. He's like, dude, I can get 20 feet off of two sticks with eighters. I'm like, no. Nah. But he's also mm-hmm. six foot five. And yeah, no lie, he can get 20 feet off two sticks with eighters. <laughs> like, he's up yeah. there quick, fast, in a hurry. Uh, but uh, the eighters the make a big difference. Yeah, because I run, I only run two sticks, and like you said, I run a three-step sewn aider on my bottom, and then a single-step aider on my top stick, and I can, I can probably get fifteen foot out of my two sticks. So yeah. it makes sense to run four and get thirty out of four. Yeah, it sounds like you need another stick. No, fifteen foot's fine. Okay. The For problem me, here in Florida. The problem is in Florida, you go up thirty feet. Sometimes thirty feet's an advantage. Other times you're too high, yeah. And then you're in, you know, some of that upper canopy, and you're having to look through the tree you're sitting in to see the ground. Whereas fifteen feet, a lot of times, rides that fifteen twenty feet rides that middle area, and you can actually see down into what's below you, the the palmettos and everything, and still see without being too high. I definitely want to run a uh, a hybrid setup like you were talking about this next year it is it is it is i did that this year for the or no last year for the first time and it is best decision i ever made it helps you sit longer you're more comfortable because obviously comfortability is everything yeah that back band only helps so much yeah and i run i run cruiser i run a cruiser saddle and then for my platform i'll run the elevate ultra and um i know with the, the the stand and the four stick it's 13 pounds so I mean it's it's no it's super light. I know for me where all my weight comes in is camera gear. <laughs> that too. Yep. Well, and that's the other thing. Elevate just came out with a camera arm um, that's super super lightweight. I mean I think it's like a pound if not less. So I ran a fourth arrow for years, but yes it's lightweight. But that that base that fourth arrow uses that that thing's five pounds itself. Yeah, it was it. Is it Elevate or uh, somebody else just dropped a camera arm this past year, just recently that uh, it's like dumb packable and light. Elevate. It, yep. Is it Elevate? The it arm like elevate. packs inside mm-hmm. of the the yeah. first arm. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that thing's sick. And it's got. Yeah, it it is awesome. It's now there's a there's a time and place. I like the fourth arrow. Um, when if, if I'm in a tree stand. Um. Like if I'm if I'm just in a tree stand that I'm not walking real far to, I do like the the fourth arrow because it has the three pivot points. But as far as my favorite camera arm, it's that Elevate. Um, I believe it reaches 30 inches if I'm correct. It's super lightweight, and I can run uh, se- usually a 7200 lens on it. 
I'll usually run the fourth arrow if I'm hunting a field because it can hold a bigger lens and I'll run a 200 to 600 lens on that because obviously in a field you'll get more depth and you can for filming purposes it's better but if you're hunting the woods or close stuff 70 to 200 is all you need I mean hell you talk about the lens with the daggum phone camera technology we've hit a point now depending on how far you're shooting and how far you can actually see cell phones are taking great video yeah I love it when people on those all those pages are like hey i want to start filming what should i film with like got an i got an iphone got a oh, got, got an your, android with got a good the new camera. iphone yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got your starter camera right there in your pocket bud <laughs> yeah i mean i'm a photographer and one of the cool one of the coolest videos i've ever seen is one of one of the one of the other photographers i follow he films a wedding with that brand new iphone and then he's using his sony a7 III, and he asks people to vote which one better and the people actually pick the iPhone, but that's that's for a wedding and obviously up more close hunting. Yeah, um, I would obviously you're always going to go with camera, but I thought that was really cool that people actually voted the iPhone. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, if you're bow hunting in a spot where you can't really see more than sixty yards, I mean, I guess if you really wanted to zoom in on something and get a clear video at sixty yards, but the the, to, the to phone a, is great, but I can take my camera and get you know like adjust all my ISO and everything and get a lot better shot out of a camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But for people that are just wanting to have their stuff filmed, the, the phones, especially too, like people are making these phone mounts um, for these camera arms. It's a great way to just get started. If somebody doesn't want to spend hundreds of dollars on a camera, the phones now are doing the trick or you just get a little Sony camcorder. It's like 200 bucks. Yeah, that's how I started when I was thirteen. I bought, I saved up, bought that two hundred dollar camcorder, and that's how I started filming hunts was with that little thing. Yeah, I got a, I run an A sixty five hundred now. I'd like to get a A seven three, but we'll see what uh, what we can do this next year to make some money to get there. Worth that, worth every penny. Yeah. Oh, I know, cause I yeah. uh, one of the one of the channels I film for. Uh, I run his a seven three and dude, Oh God, I love that camera so much. Yeah. From, from a, from a photo capability and video capabilities, it, it is, the, it's the best. I would say either that or the new R six, the Canon R six. Um, one of my buddies runs an R six and I got to use it a little bit, uh, this past September in Texas and he was showing me and, um, that thing's pretty slick. I just love a good Sony, man. I don't, I'm kind of like, it's, I know it's one of those like Ford Chevy things. And mm-hmm. uh, it's all personal preference. Yeah. I was going to say I'm a Chevy man and I'll probably be a Sony man. So <laughs> I yeah, remember I'll, the, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot a Sony the whole, my whole life. Yeah. I remember the first, especially once you filmed. get familiar with the software. The first hunt you filmed. The first hunt I have, I filmed, I had Straight one of those from camera to VHS. No, it was, oh. it was with a phone. And it was that where the phone clipped on your scope and you had to look through the screen of the scope or the screen of the phone to see, uh, to see what you were shooting at. And I was shooting a doe. It was in, in, uh, Brooksville. No. And it didn't, my phone didn't quite fit in the holder perfectly. I I still got the (laughs) holder. It didn't quite fit in the holder perfectly. And I'm watching this doe and i'm like okay i can do i can do this i can see it i can see it i shot and because it didn't fit right phone went 
all the way down to the ground. <laughs> and yep. you look at the video and you can see the doe jumping. I missed. And and then all of a sudden you see all you see is grass. The phone it's just sitting in the grass. I was like, oh man. Now now what about when you were you were buck tagged out on that lease in Blakely and you decided to take the video camera? Oh man. I've that was the that was straight from camera to VHS is what that was. <laughs> yeah. 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 And seen the biggest buck I ever seen, and couldn't do nothing with it. <laughs> we actually did a uh, a podcast a couple weeks or a few weeks back with uh, the record buck in the state of Florida, which was two hundred six inches. I and saw that I, when I saw that deer, I was like, "There's no way." Yeah, that thing yeah. was awesome. Yeah. And oh, he now actually, so yeah. What, spoiler: five minutes from here, maybe thirty. Spoiler: uh, We have here in a few weeks coming up the guy who came six inches shy of breaking it last year coming on. So, yeah, that's so, gonna be a fun. But one. Uh, I actually just got in the mail on Wednesday all his VHS tapes that he filmed when he shot that buck so i actually have to go through and get that all converted to digital and then i'm going to put something together with that too that's going to be sick that's going to go out on our youtube too yeah and and he uh well i mean he admits in the podcast he didn't get the shot on film but he climbs he climbed down the A steps ladder. yeah to, from his lock on with the bow in his mouth the limb of his the bow in his mouth yeah, <laughs> yeah. By the limb. Oh, he's different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then he spot and stalked it for 70 yards and then shot it. <laughs> I, w- I want to know what bow he has in his mouth. That must be, thing must be pretty lightweight. This was, this Dude, was a 1999? Yeah. When he killed it, so there was no lightweight No, bow. there's no weight. Not 99. <laughs> he just had some teeth that were hurting after that, yeah. I can tell you that. That was back oh, when they were like... That <laughs> He must have been doing some exercise or something. I mean, that dude's jaw's got to be immaculate. Yeah, you see that deer walk out, your jaws get real strong, too, if you got to climb down and hold the bow in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, but it, your teeth would be chattering. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to see the limb to the bow, see if it's got teeth marks in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, man, that, that, is, that is something else. So you're going to go back and try and kill more, or have you satisfied that itch? I got poison. I, that itch, I'm going to be scratching. I'm already itching. I was, I, season's ending. Um, I'm looking forward to turkey season, but I'm at the point now where, like, screw whitetails. I'm, I'm all in on them. I mean, that was, it was, it was awesome. Cause, like, it just, it just took me back to being a little kid. Like, we used to have the house down there and it's just, it's awesome. I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm getting jittery just thinking about it. You know, it's just so cool to think that it's such a unique animal to be able to kill, but then to add the extra aspect where you killed it in the same exact spot you've seen your dad kill one. Like, you know, that that's just something just thinking about that, something that almost gives you chills. I can only imagine, you know, living that moment. Well that yeah, I mean I remember going out west the first time I started going out west, killing pronghorn mule deer. Like, yeah, I was I was jacked, I was stoked, but killing killing that sick of deer this year, it was it was like a whole different it was like a whole different rush. Like everything's got a different rush. Waterfowl's different, archery hunting's different, like whitetail's different, mule deer's different, elk's different, but that that was on a different level. 
Yeah. Oh man, I can only yeah. imagine. All right, now I got to start uh, planning things out. Let's oh, see. Go now we got to look at joining him for one. Yeah. Heck yeah! Come on. So what, what's your plan for turkeys down here in Florida? Are you gonna hit some public land up? Where are you where are you planning on going do. in Florida? If if we were to make Florida happen, that's what I would do. Um, uh, do public. I mean, I've, that's what I've been doing the last three years. We always do. Um, I work with Williams Knife Company. I I do their community marketing and handle all all their content. And we, Chris, the owner, he is a turkey nut. So we we put a big budget towards. Um, turkey hunting and getting turkey content because that's just that's what he lives to do so he went two years ago he was with uh foe he didn't have any luck but if it was i'm i would be coming down just hunting public and see if i can get because that's the last bird i need too to get complete my plan so, so you know say, it's probably all permit driven too is what you, need to say, watch, yeah. you know that a lot of florida public is is permit only mm-hmm. there's, yeah there's a few spots that aren't but it's whew, they're hard to. It's tough. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it, don't don't let them fool you and tell you that you can only shoot an Osceola south of seventy because you can shoot an Osceola. We're we're around Ocala, and there's also there. I mean, we shoot Osceolas up here. So they, well, they're just, like the we're like an hour and a half south of Gainesville. They're like the uh, they're like the sick deer. They're slowly pushing their way further north. Now you get up into mm-hmm. the really into the Panhandle region. You're definitely on easterns up there, and here in. Uh, in our area of Florida, you'll get a mix of the two, but obviously you can tell the difference when you're looking at a bird in front of you, uh, between right. the Osceola and the Eastern. But I don't know, I think I seen that group just the other day at work. What was there? 15, 20 turkeys in that group, yeah. four or five gobblers, all Osceolas. Yeah, and that's 10 minutes from the house and they're walking out of a neighborhood and into a, where we've they're got fixing the building. We've got domesticated birds around here anymore. Yeah. Yeah, you guys got the suburb birds. Yep, yeah. man. Let me tell yeah. you, talk about hunting some suburb birds. So in Florida, if you're on public land or private land, it's legal to hunt turkeys with a rifle. Which what? is yeah, yep. I've yeah. shot yep. one off a horseback with a 22 Magnum one time. Now, a couple years ago, you John Wayne. Yeah, <laughs> a couple years ago. Uh, was that legal? I, yeah, it was yeah, turkey on season. private land. Okay, yeah, so. <laughs> I have yet to kill a turkey. I, I am great turkey hunter, terrible turkey killer. Um, a couple years ago, one of the other co-hosts of the podcast, Jim, he's not here this evening. He was like, dude, I got some in my neighborhood. He said, we can kill him. I was like, all right. He's like, but we can't look like we're turkey hunting. I'm like, okay, what's your plan? He's like, I have a, a target match 22 pistol. And we're going to go in, we would, we'd put the 22 pistol in a tackle box and carry, you know, just wearing like mute colors, carry the tackle box and fishing poles across to all the houses, get off in this wooded area. This that's probably 70, 80 acres of woods in like a park in the middle of the, the subdivision. The HOA owns it. Yeah, the HOA owns it, but it doesn't strictly provide, uh, prohibit you from hunting in there. So you get up there and you cover yourself up and, you know, palm meadows, whatever else. And. Dude, I had that twenty-two pistol and I was ready to go, but that bird would not cooperate. I had all his hens on top of me. He didn't didn't want to come any closer, but I couldn't shoot across into where he was because I didn't have a safe backstop. I needed him to come join the hens, and I totally would have just smoked him right in the head at ten feet with that twenty-two pistol. <laughs> I hadn't been given the opportunity, but you know that's that's the Every, suburban hey. birds. 
everything happens for a reason. That's just God telling you need to do it with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, do it the right way. Yeah. I tried last year. <laughs> Fuck that up too. But yeah. That was fun though, man. That was a fun hunt last year. I enjoyed that a lot. That was a lot of action. Yeah. A lot of action, and it all started out, and I knew that uh, I just had bad luck with turkeys, man. Jordan watched them go to roost several nights the week prior. Yeah, I watched them every afternoon that week go to roost. I, I showed up the the morning before the hunt, verified that they are still on that roost. Like, great, we're good to go. Walk in there with no light, like an hour, and I got sat down at the base of the tree. We we're going to hunt an hour and a half before sunrise. And... I shit you not, right as the first peak of light comes over, he's 15 yards to my left in a tree. I mean, I could see him up in the tree, and they're just hammering back and forth. They're 200 yards from where they've been roosting. I was sitting underneath his roost, and he hit the, both of them hit the ground, gone. <laughs> they saw you come in. We didn't use a light. There's no way they saw us come in. We walked in in the dark, and believe me, that was a pain in the butt because it was some it was thick, no thick moon yeah. yeah no moon and that was some thick thick woods we had a good spot at one time to go turkey hunting but somebody lost it yeah <laughs> somebody but, else has it but yeah and that was that was public land and i would love to get back there i did not draw that spot this year but i did draw another one and i keep putting in for redraws that's another thing you got to watch if you plan on coming to florida uh redraws happen every single week they start saturday and end on tuesday so as people turn in turkey permits, they realize, oh, crap, I've got a wedding or I've got a birthday I've got to go to that week, and they turn it in, and you can redraw that up until the week of the hunt. So what's available this really? weekend, uh, Saturday to Tuesday, it may not be available next weekend, so on and so forth. Now, that's strictly lottery, no preference points, nothing. But you can draw some. I mean, I draw mm -hmm. a lot of great whitetail hunts that way. In fact, the hunt you killed your buck on this year in Florida, yeah, you drew on a redraw. a redraw. It was yeah. two weeks before the hunt, too, yeah. And the one I killed last year was a redraw. Yeah. In 2022. So, I don't know, you got to watch those redraws. They open up at 10 o'clock on Saturday, and they will close Tuesday morning. Tuesday sometime. Well, no, they got to close that's Monday. That's Monday. Cool. got to close Monday sometime, because you usually get your denied or, you know, whether you're successful or unsuccessful by about lunch on Tuesday. Yeah. It's kind of a pain, man, uh, with the whole everything being put on a lottery and then you know because it 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 kind of keeps you from being able to scout you can scout an area and know that there's a dang good buck there and then if or turkey and then uh if you don't draw it you're just sol hope you got a buddy that has that permit and you can be his guest well nick man i really appreciate you joining us uh what you got you got you guys got some closing thoughts you got any advice for people who think they want to come up there and hunt seek a deer man not just seek a deer but just anything in general like if you're thinking about taking that trip or taking that hunt and you want to do it like go for it like we're only on this earth one time like for me i'm 26 years old i'm only going to be have a young body to do some of these tougher hunts like elk hunt up in the mountains or trudging through that marsh on public land like your body's only your body's only be able to take some of that stuff and a beating for so much like if you're sitting there thinking about doing that hunt like do it yeah you guys got any closing thoughts oh man i'm gonna say uh just don't stop pushing man like you know 
I'm, I'm sure it wasn't easy to get back to where you got in that swamp. And there's a lot of times in any hunt where you're like, man, this really sucks. I think I should just stop here. Keep pushing, man. You're, you're don't, don't settle for something less just because it's harder to get to where you really think you should be. Yeah. I'm going to speak on the same thing, but from a different position. Think about risk versus reward. Like, don't put yourself in some situation where you could end up dead or seriously injured because you... Oh, yeah. <clears throat> There's no animal out there worth it to never be able to hunt again or to die mm-hmm. and leave your family, you know, <clears throat> uh, without a way to, you know, with nobody to provide them uh, with what you were providing. Um, and always tell somebody where you're going, man. I And I carry that... I've got that Garmin inReach uh, and... I don't ever pay for the subscription unless I'm going somewhere for a period of time where I know that I'm not going to have cell phone signal. You can pay, it's like 14 bucks a month and that'll allow you to send like 10 text messages so you can communicate back and forth. And then, but in the event that you do have a, a, a life altering situation, you can always hit that SOS button and Garmin has the most satellites when it comes to that in space to pinpoint your location and get somebody to you to help you. And not only that, like if you're in a situation where, man, I fell and I broke my leg, but I'm in a really bad spot. And if you need to move, it's going to continue to track you if you can still move. So they know where you are real time. As long as the batteries are good, but the battery lasts forever. And that little tiny thing, I mean, it's like the size of a, a little bit bigger than the thing of Tic Tacs. It's fine in reach. Yeah. They're expensive. Uh, but what's, the cost of your life starving to death yeah, it's, it's yeah. worth every penny if you're doing some off the grid hunts where you don't have service i i recommend everybody have one yeah prepare prepare for what you're doing no matter what yeah. don't uh you know take the think it through walk it through make a plan work the plan um don't just go off the cuff on something like that, especially if you're if you're driving five hours or four hours to go somewhere. And uh, were you by yourself when you went on that hunt? Yeah, I was all alone. Yep. Yeah, that's that's even that that adds another factor to it. So, but that's cool. Yep. Well, Nick, man, I got to get some links from you for social media stuff so that I can put those down in the podcast description. Uh, but you guys make it down to Florida for turkeys this year. Definitely hit us up. We'll help you out any way we can. I appreciate that. And then, too, like, y'all got my contact. Do you ever want to come up? Give me a holler. It ain't if ever. It's not. It, it's no longer a matter of if. It's a matter of when. Yeah. We're going to make it happen. We'll fit it in there somewhere. We've got to get up somewhere and kill some bigger whitetail. And maybe some sick. Oh, hey, do not do not come to me for whitetail. <laughs> I don't know if you know anything about Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is the we got the num we got the most hunters out of any state, and our whitetails we got mountain they're mountain deer. They got they're unpatternable, and they look around. <laughs> they walk around looking up. So I don't know. I would like to do. Uh, I would like to come to a place like that and do uh, a deer drive. Never, never done a true deer drive, and uh, your flintlock season appeals to me. Oh, it is. I will say, if you like the flintlock stuff and the deer drives, like it's got the history of it. 
Yeah. Now, as far as rifle, like the rifle hunters, like the people that go out one time a year, I'm a bow hunter. I only hunt with a bow. I don't like them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, see, for me, for me, Nick, I was born in Ohio, and my dad died when I was four. But I hear the story. I heard heard stories growing up of they, him, and his brothers would all go to Pennsylvania and hunt. So mm-hmm. for me, it, it's it would kind of be like for you and your sick hunt with your dad, but I, I didn't get to hunt with my dad growing up and for him to show me places, but, um, it, it would be cool to go to Pennsylvania. Cause I know they did drives. I met my dad died, but my uncles and uh, told me stories and, uh, they, they didn't tell me all the stories because I don't think some of them were, I was <laughs> allowed to hear, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but I almost like got to go one time. But, yeah. Oh yeah. The- the flintlock stuff, the flintlock stuff is really cool. I mean, my dad lives for it. I, I always just carry my bow. I, I haven't carried the flintlock yet, but I mean, every time flintlock season opens, he's itching, but like, yeah, opening day rifle here in Pennsylvania, it is, it's, it's nuts. It's like, the well, don't they shut the schools you, down for opening deer season? Heck yeah. We get two <laughs> days off of school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the wave up, of orange. Up when I was going in high school, <laughs> yeah, literally, we would get off. We would get off for opening day rifle. Yeah, you and can. Literally, you, literally, the best way to describe opening day rifle: you take a football field, there'll be ten, ten by ten going a hundred yards, and then the end zones it'll be five guys by five guys, and they just push into each other. Yeah, <laughs> and literally, there's just bullets flying everywhere. Yeah. Sounds dangerous, but fun. Sounds yeah. like what they used to yeah. say Ocala was all about, but Ocala's not that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, yeah, you I, talk about the deer drives in Pennsylvania and the history behind that is very akin to the, like down here in the deep South, the guys still running deer with dogs. Yeah. And it's, uh, and I, if I've said it once, I've said it a hundred, hundred times, the, the dog hunting is, uh, something we definitely need to keep around, but it's, it's fun. It is a really fun thing to do. I don't do it because I don't, I don't want to feed all those dogs. <laughs> um, but uh, I've done it with friends, and it combines a redneck's two favorite sports, deer hunting and NASCAR. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you just yeah. rally yeah. racing through the woods in a pickup truck to try and get in front of dogs. And it's, uh, it's a really a family sport. I mean, you see kids from, oh, yeah. like, kids that, like, oh, yeah, this is my kid. He's six weeks old. We're going deer hunting. Well, how were you? How old were you and your brother when you rode on a dog box in on my truck in Ocala? <sighs> Dude, I was young enough to barely remember it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember hunting with you and using the old SKS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's been a long time. And I, like I said, I went with friends when I was in high school whose who's dad still did it then. But it's uh, something I enjoy doing, not something I enjoy doing all the time, but something that's definitely, there's a history to it. And they call it dog hunting for a reason because pretty much that's you're hunting dogs. <laughs> because <laughs> your dogs when they get away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't remember who it was. It was either Real Tree or Mossy Oak, but they, they did a they did a video of Pennsylvania rifle hunting and it, it they did like just a old like a old deer camp and it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool to watch. But yeah, I mean I'm an archery guy, so I don't I don't do the deer drives. But as far as like the history goes, like it is pretty cool because um, like people that don't hunt, they all get together and it's like it's like a big old holiday. We get out of school, 
even the city kids will carry a shock uh, rifle that day, which can be scary, but <laughs> everybody's getting out. Everybody's getting out, spending time with family. Like they'll tell those stories until the day they die. Well, so do you hang your deer by your horns or you hang them by their back feet? Back feet. I see that. Do you, you see the old, by the, yeah, the old they, lodgepole yeah. pictures all hanging by the horns yeah. down the one pole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my my buddy, one of my best friends up at his camp, they do that. Like, like I said, opening day rifle. They'll they'll be twenty guys up at that cabin. They got the pole and they're just deer hanging. <laughs> yeah, it's cool stuff. Well, like I said, Nick, I appreciate you joining us. I'll uh, I'll get some links from you. This will come out uh, this coming Monday. We're a little bit behind. We're going week to week right now, but so it'll be out and everybody get to listen to it. It's a great story, man, and I look forward to getting my butt up there and hunt some sika deer and hopefully we can connect with you when you come down to florida to hunt some turkeys yeah sounds like a plan yeah absolutely all right we'll catch you guys next week